This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's Friday, January 6th. It's not just a date on the calendar. We start here. Two years after the U.S. Capitol attack and still healing. It broke me. You know, it, it broke me. The hero Capitol cop and the lasting human impact of the riots on police. And the president's new plan for migrants at the border. Do not, do not just show up at the border. Will a crackdown on some and a pathway for others slow the flow? Plus, to catch a killer. Cell phone pings, you know, that would suggest that he's doing surveillance. The key evidence authorities revealed in the Moscow, Idaho murders. From ABC News, this is Start Here. I'm Devin Dwyer. Good morning. Happy Friday. Brad's off today. 24 months after the attack on the U.S. Capitol, that stain on our democracy is complicated by chaos of a different kind. I would like to know what the basis is to allow somebody to occupy the speaker's office who comes in second place 10 straight times. Is there like some basis in law or rule or precedent for that? Still no breakthrough in the House this morning where Republicans are gridlocked over their speaker, official business at a standstill. But in that chamber, the same one that rioters rampage through, the harm inflicted on those who lived through that day hangs heavy. Five responding Capitol Police officers have since lost their lives. Dozens more officers, staff, and lawmakers say they're still scarred. We need to close the doors of the Capitol. I was being crushed. I literally could not not look at him. I thought to myself that I wouldn't make it out of there alive. Going to work at the Capitol every day is a constant reminder of... Uh, you know what happened. We now know what happened in better detail than ever. 800 pages from the January 6th committee lays it all out. Congress has taken steps to close legal loopholes that helped inspire the insurrection. More than $2.7 million of physical damage has been repaired. But today, it's those still raw emotional and psychological wounds that are front and center. And that's where we begin with ABC's Chief Justice Correspondent, Pierre Thomas, who just sat down with Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn. Pierre, it's great to be with you. Dunn has been so public about this quiet, ongoing struggle to cope. Well, for many people, what happened on January 6th, the people that were there, particularly the officers who were there, this is not just a date on the calendar. This is a part of their daily walk, a part of their daily lives. And I did sit down with him on Thursday, and I was struck by the intensity of how much it's a part of his daily life. And what do I mean by that? He referred to his workplace, the place he still works, as the scene of the crime. And he talks about post-traumatic stress syndrome. I've made such good progress 
but it was all just like out of nowhere just ripped away from me. And he talks about how in those moments when there's the darkness, he can remember the flashbacks, he can remember the smoke. He can remember the screams and the yells and the radio traffic. He can remember, he can recall all of it. I was just like, man, I thought I had this under control. I beat this. But no, nah, it literally just came out of nowhere. And it, it broke me, you know, it, it broke me. And here he is. He's a six foot seven, six foot eight inch mountain of a man. And he's talking about being vulnerable and he's talking about needing help. Did you get a sense of how widespread this impact has been among his peers who were there that day? I mean, he's not a man on an island. He's not. I mean, he is careful not to speak for all of his colleagues. But I think it's fair to say he can see in the faces of his colleagues that they're all or many of them are dealing with the same kinds of issues that he's dealing with. It doesn't feel like it's been two years, but it has been two years. And to see Harry still processing, uh, he said there are good days and bad days. There are more better days than bad days now. But this evolution, uh, he said at one point he went from anxiety to anger to hope to anxiety again. And you get the sense, Pierre, that conditions in the force are still tough. I mean, the union says they're down about 200 officers they need right now. I imagine that strains everybody. The former Capitol Police chief struck, he said this week, he's not even convinced this type of attack would fail if it was attempted again. I mean, that's striking to hear these things two years out. As someone who covers police in general, they were supposed to get resources. They were supposed to improve their training. Now, some of those things have happened, but the union clearly thinks they don't have enough people, which raises all kinds of issues in terms of how long people's shifts are, are people able to get enough breaks in order to be operating at their optimum level when they're on duty. And when something shocking happens, there's always that big old question mark. Could it happen again? I mean, there was one point when I asked him, what words would he use to describe January 6th? And to quote him, he said, horror, dark, anger, disappointment, betrayal. Thank you, thank you, thank you for protecting our capital. Maybe even more importantly, for protecting our Constitution and saving the lives of duly elected members of the Senate and the House and their staffs. And in the face of that, officers like Harry Dunn showed so much courage. The president today, as you know, is going to award one of the nation's highest civilian honors, the Presidential Citizens Medal to Dunn and the other officers. There's also this open question, Pierre, of accountability. And, and what does Dunn say about that? He is pretty blunt about the issue of accountability. Former President Trump, in your mind, how responsible is he? Do you think he committed crimes? And should he be held accountable? I believe he should be held accountable for his actions or inactions of that day. He says that he believes in accountability. He's anxious about accountability because he wants everyone who played a role in the violence and the, what he called terrorism 
that was inflicted upon the heart of our democracy. There were criminal things that the former president has done, and I don't see how you, you could not hold him accountable for that day. And that's the big question hanging over this anniversary. I mean, 950 people arrested so far by the Justice Department for their alleged actions on January 6th. But will they prosecute the former president for his role on that day? We know they're looking at it. But when do you expect a decision? Sooner rather than later? Well, we only recently had the special counsel appointed. But that comes after many months of investigation. And we know the investigation is looking at the violence. We know that the investigation is looking at this whole, whole issue of fake electors and whether there was a legal conspiracy to block the peaceful transfer of power. Whether they were present that day or were otherwise criminally responsible for the assault on our democracy, we will follow the facts wherever they lead. They're still subpoenaing people. Um, they are still gathering evidence. And trust me, when you're talking about whether to charge a former president of the United States, who also is a declared candidate for the next presidential cycle, that's a hell of a decision to make. It's a big one indeed, but today we should say our thoughts are with all those who were harmed that day, lived through that day, served that day. And Pierre, hats off to you for a really powerful interview with Harry Dunn. And, uh, you can hear more of Pierre's interview coming up this Sunday on This Week. Uh, and Pierre, we look forward to seeing you there. Thanks so much. Thank you, David. Next up on Start Here, what the president is doing in Republican country after this. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Have you ever wondered what you would do with an extra hour in your day? I think about this all the time. I'm like, I would be so productive. I'd exercise more or I'd read a book or I'd take a nap, like restore myself. We often find ourselves yearning for these extra hours, but the real question is, what would you do if you were making yourself a priority? Well, how about therapy? It can help you discover what's important so you can make the most of your time. If you've ever benefited from therapy, you know how transformative it can be. It's not just for those who have experienced major trauma. Therapy empowers you to learn positive coping skills, set boundaries, and become the best version of yourself. If you're considering starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and tailored to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist. And here's the beauty of it. You can switch therapists if you're not finding the right fit. No additional charge. Take the first step. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash start here today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash start here. We all know there are things in life that you have to compromise on, but when it comes to your health, there should be no compromise. Don't go back to that one doctor, you know the type, like I've had this person before, that doesn't actually listen to you or who seems just in a rush to end your appointment that you spent months making. Instead, check out ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. You can search by location, availability, and 
insurance. So no compromises here because with ZocDoc, you got more options than you know. We're talking about booking appointments with tens of thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed, credible doctors and specialists. Go to ZocDoc.com slash start here and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash start here. ZocDoc.com slash start here. President Biden has been in office for more than 700 days, but Sunday will mark his first visit to the U.S. border since being elected. And I will visit the border myself this Sunday in El Paso to assess border enforcement operations. The announcement of his trip to El Paso, Texas, comes as record numbers. Thousands of migrants a day have been flooding the border for months. I've been coming to this exact spot in Ciudad Juarez for years now, covering migration. I've never seen anything quite like this. The situation has become something of a crisis for the administration, even if it doesn't want to use the word. Law enforcement and processing systems are clearly stretched thin. Humanitarian programs are overwhelmed. I don't know of a larger crisis in our country right now, and this is a crisis caused by the Biden administration. And after months of mounting pressure, the president on Thursday announced a new plan. Today, my administration is taking several steps to stiffen enforcement for those who try to come without a legal right to stay and to put in place a faster process, I emphasize a faster process, to decide a claim of asylum. ABC senior White House correspondent Mary Bruce was there. She'll be traveling with the president to Mexico City next week. Mary, sounds like this plan is part crackdown, but also part pathway. Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Let's start with the crackdown side of this, right? The president is making it very clear to people seeking asylum from Cuba, Nicaragua, Haiti, and Venezuela who attempt to cross the border illegally, do not show up at the border. Those are his words. Do not, do not just show up at the border. Stay where you are and apply legally from there. And just to be clear, those are the countries the administration says make up the bulk of these migrants we're seeing. Is that right? Exactly. And so the president is saying to them, stay where you are. Apply legally from there. He is announcing that he will allow up to 30,000 people from those four countries to apply for asylum each month. People don't have to wait years to get their claims adjudicated, which they have a right to make a claim legally. But they have to meet really strict criteria, including thorough vetting, security checks, and also naming a sponsor in the U.S. So that's the pathway side of it here. The president's critics not happy with this, right? The ACLU blasted the president's decision and this plan, saying it further ties his administration to what they described as the poisonous anti-immigrant policies as the Trump era. You also had the Republican governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, calling it nothing more than a Band-Aid, saying this isn't really going to solve the problem. And the president agrees this is not a long-term solution, but it is something to at least try and deal with the situation that we're currently facing. Yeah, and Congress has clearly dropped the ball on addressing this issue for some time, too. But the big question, Mary, I guess, is will this make any difference? I mean, I, in one sense, it seems like on the legal side of things, they're trying to redirect these people away from smuggling operations who funnel them to the border and trying to get them to, did I read correctly, an app in which they'll apply for asylum? Yeah, they're trying to find a safer way, right, to get these migrants, these people who are desperately seeking help, fleeing violence, fleeing poverty, trying to simply get a better life. And the, But they recognize that they do also have to turn a lot of people away if they're not going through this process, not going through this new app that they have uh, put out there to help people, they say, to, to easily uh, go through the process of seeking asylum. I have faith that can happen. She has faith that she'll be able to get in. Pero si no puedes entrar, ¿qué vas a hacer? 
<laughs> she doesn't know what she'll do if they don't let her back in. Will this make a huge lasting impact? Probably not, because ultimately it comes down to Congress. Uh, and that is where the president, you know, is more more than happy to, to, to point a finger across the aisle because he says, look, from day one, he has argued for the need for more comprehensive immigration reform. And Republicans, while they are quick to criticize him, this administration, this president points out they have done nothing uh, in terms of legislation to try and solve this problem. And they don't have uh, any legislative plans on the table either. And we should emphasize the, the the human impact of this issue on the border on both sides. It's really it's gut-wrenching. Uh, it's gut-wrenching to watch. But this is also fascinating politically, Mary. And I wanted to just ask you uh, about the politics here because this is fascinating to see this president who's largely avoided talking about immigration and the border. He dispatched the vice president to handle that for the large part uh, of, of his term so far. Now he's heading deep into Texas, engaging with Republicans. In fact, this week he was also out with Mitch McConnell. Connell in Kentucky. It's the government working together to solve a major problem at a time when the country needs to see examples like this of coming together and getting an outcome. What do you make of this? Does it have anything to do perhaps with that big decision on whether to run for re-election? What do you, what do you see? Oh, perhaps. <laughs> uh, yeah, the timing of this is very interesting, right? The president has been facing a huge amount of political pressure over the issue of immigration. He's also constantly getting skewered by Republicans for not having visited the border. So the president is now saying, OK, he's going to go down. He's going to visit the border on his way to Mexico City for this uh, summit with the leaders of Mexico and Canada. And the president knows that immigration, if and when he decides to run for president, which he has said he intends to do to run for re-election, that immigration is going to be a huge issue for his Republican challengers. They're going to want to skewer him over this issue. And so the president is trying to get ahead of that. Everything certainly looks like the president is beginning to uh, lay the groundwork for that re-election bid, which we uh, aren't sure when he's going to announce. But certainly all signs continue to point to the fact that he will. A fascinating pivot on policy. Uh, could, could it be an indicator? Who knows? But uh, Mary Bruce, we know you'll stay on it. Uh, really appreciate you breaking it down for us. Uh, Mary Bruce, thanks so much. Thanks, Evan. I mean, who can do something like this? You know, it's hard to, you know, it's hard to think that you're looking at somebody who could even be possible. The search for understanding after that horrific quadruple murder in Moscow, Idaho, is far from over. But for the first time, we're getting a detailed look at why police think they have the right suspect behind the stabbings of those four college students. We believe we have our guy, the one that committed these murders. An explosive 18-page affidavit released Thursday lays out the evidence authorities say links 28-year-old Brian Koberger to the crime. Count two alleges that you committed the felony offense of murder in the first degree. The maximum penalty for that offense if you plead guilty or are found guilty is death and or imprisonment for life. Do you understand? Yes. He was arrested in Pennsylvania this week and extradited back to Idaho as prosecutors now build their case against him, even as he maintains his innocence. ABC News contributor and former FBI agent Brad Garrett has been looking through the documents. He's closely following this case. Brad, I mean, just give me your headline. What allegations stand out to you the most? Well, they found his DNA at the scene. And I'll tell you, Devin, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, I've worked a number of stabbing cases, and the problem is, obviously, it's a very messy way to kill somebody without getting graphic here. And so the odds are that you cut yourself or you leave your DNA in some form or fashion at one of these scenes, in particular, when you've now taken on four people at one residence, 
it's reasonable that the, the cops and the crime scene techs would find something. And Brett, how, I mean, how accurate and reliable are these tests these days, DNA tests? Well, they're, they're, they're really very accurate. And they've said they got DNA, uh, you know, off of the knife sheath, the, the hook for it. So is that probably good? It, it probably is good. Police later linking that DNA to Koberger by collecting his father's DNA from trash outside the family home and linking it to their sample from the crime scene. The knife was obviously found on the scene. That's powerful. To find the knife and the sheath literally next to one of the victims mm-hmm. is pretty hard to get out of if you're if you're the bad guy. And it's not just DNA, right? I mean, the affidavit says they have pings from Koberger's cell phone that basically put him at the victim's house 12 times before the murders. Yeah, the focus on cell phone pings, you know, that would suggest that he's doing surveillance. He's seeing who comes and goes from the house, what times do they come and go, probably noticed there was parties going on in there, uh, whatever it might be. And so, you know, that obviously is very good evidence showing interest of him, of that house, and probably of the people in the house. And we should also note, Brad, right, that the affidavit doesn't give any indication Koberger had previous ties or relationships with the victims. Right. And in cases where you have killers who were motivated by killing, that tends to be the case. And we're also learning for the first time there may have been someone who saw the suspect that night. A roommate of one of the victims, according to the affidavit, had been awoken, saw a masked man in black leaving the house. Right. I mean, is that significant given, you know, the murky detail about the identity of the person? Well, to a certain extent. I mean, they can't ID him. He had on, uh, I think it was described, all black clothing and had a mask of some sort on you know, and had bushy eyebrows. Kohlberger does have bushy eyebrows, but that doesn't in a, on its face in a, mean anything. Mm. But is it somebody that fits the general description of him? The answer is yes. Mm. I think that is that a huge piece of evidence? No. Is it? But is it pertinent and relevant to this case? The the, uh, the answer is, of course, yes. The car resembling the grainy image captured on a gas station security cam taken around 345 the morning of the murders. The other piece that's not talked about a whole lot is his car. Because they did put his car in the neighborhood. They put his car leaving town, the white Hyundai Elantra. Another thing about the car is that about uh, five or six days after the murders, he changed the license plates from uh, Pennsylvania to Washington. Is that something you would maybe normally do? Well, maybe, may not. It's not against the law. But it's all of these things that go together, particularly with the DNA and the cell phone pings, really sort of drive you to, this is a guy that, you know, there's more than sufficient probable cause to charge it. And we should say the police are are pretty confident this is their guy, but he is innocent until proven guilty. And and Koberger, through his attorney this week, said he's eager to be exonerated. Those were his words. Right. So sounds like he's ready to to fight this. Well, and, and he may well. I mean, I will tell you that people, you know, if in fact, he is the right guy. And if, in fact, he sort of fits, you know, this general profile that this is a psychologically driven crime, those people, and I'm generalizing here, are extremely egotistical. And so the idea that he could beat the system and go after the system 
is not surprising. One of the things, Brad, that's fascinated me most about the suspect, uh, Brian Koberger, is his academic pedigree. I mean, this is someone who uh, doesn't appear to be a dummy. He was um, in a graduate program at the University of Washington. He studied criminology, a PhD in criminology. That's a degree you have. I mean, how does that factor into your thinking about him? I mean, does that tell you anything? Yes. It tells me that he's he he has, A, an interest and fascination in crime, criminal behavior, crime scenes. Well, I do too, because that's what I do day in and day out. However, I never think about harming somebody or think about that I can take this skill set and become a better criminal. The information and the skills that he was learning in criminology and criminal justice, you know, gave him a better awareness of how cops investigate. But it more importantly, Devin, it gave him more insight into the mind of killers. And some would maybe even argue, and then perhaps they will at some point, that he's going inside his own mind, that his mind was in this arena, it's in this reality. And people like that, they have a fascination and a compulsion to go kill somebody. And so does he fit that? We just don't know. We do know Koberger will be back in court January 12th for the next hearing in this case. But, of course, the investigation continues. Brad Garrett, thanks so much for your analysis and expertise. You're welcome. Take care. Okay, we're going to take one more quick break. But when we come back, my trip to the headquarters of The Onion. One last thing is next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. And one last thing. And they said, put your hands behind your back. I said, why are you arresting me? And they told me, fake Parma Police Facebook page. And I think I replied, what? If you're a fan of parody, that age-old form of comedy, then the case of Anthony Novak of Parma, Ohio, is worth a close eye this year. Is there any chance that a reasonable person could have perceived this as a real page? No. I pretty much was just trying to make my friends on Facebook laugh. I didn't think it was going to go past that. So it's kind of like right here? Yeah, I was walking out of the store, uh-huh. and I saw the cop pull in here, and I looked at my roommate and said, someone's in trouble. Novak was arrested and jailed in 2016 for making a spoof of his city's police department on Facebook, the post clearly poking fun at the cops. Tell me, what kind, what kind of stuff was on the page? So the first post said uh, they were pleased to announce that they were enacting a new temporary law that would ban uh, residents from feeding or housing the homeless. There was later a post about abortions. Frankly, they're crude, they're demeaning, and they're very inflammatory. There's a fine line between satire and endangering the public. The police said Novak's parody prompted calls to their non-emergency number and an investigation disrupting police operations. He was acquitted by a jury, but now he's asking the U.S. Supreme Court to let him sue the cops for violating his right to create comedy. This all goes back to Mark Twain. Mike Gillis is the head writer at The Onion. That's what this entire case hinges on. It's the ability to tell a joke with a straight face. 
Last month, Gillis gave me a rare look inside the Onion's headquarters in Chicago. It's where all the jokes are written. Right, just this one man writes all of the jokes. And he told me the ability to freely poke fun at people in power, including the police, is now on the line at the high court in Novak's case. There are powerful individuals in this country who seem to think that they should be the sole arbiters of that. And I think judges and police officers and figures of authority, the people who are most susceptible to parody, should be as far away from that lever as possible. No, it's not another Onion spoof. The paper filed a brief with the Supreme Court last year. Now we'll soon see if the justices take their defense of parody seriously. Start Here is produced by Kelly Therese, Jen Newman, Brenda Salinas-Baker, Madeline Wood, Vika Aronson, Iru Ekpenobi, Cameron Chertavian, and Tara Gimbel. Ariel Chester is our social media producer. Josh Cohen is our director of podcast programming. Brad Milkey is our managing editor. Liz Alessi is the head of ABC Audio. Thanks to Lakia Brown, John Newman, and our intern, Nania McLean. Special thanks this week to Melissa Griffin, Chris Berry, and Dada Jovanovic. I'm Devin Dwyer. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts.